guess what today's podcast is by uh, context clues context clues yeah how would they guess this <sighs> there we go <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, that's a soundtrack breathing yep I'm gonna tell you breathing it's Look. breathing near and dear to my heart but I hope it's near and dear to everyone's it heart it literally is it really is and I think there's a um it's the most important thing we do all day, any day, any given day. And one thing that's remarkable about breathing is that we're, humans are the only animal on all the planet that has conscious control over it. Um, there's no other animal that does, and it's the remote control for our nervous system. So that's, I, I'm, I'm not sure if th- that describes just what a superpower that is, but it's amazing. Mm. We can go aerobic, we can go anaerobic, we can go parasympathetic nervous system activating, we can go sympathetic nervous system activating, we can prime ourselves for a workout, we can recover from a workout, we can get ourselves ready for sleep, we can get ourselves ready for cold water, we can boost our immune system, and the list goes on. It's amazing. Do you it's think, incredible. Do you think, in your opinion, that like breath is one of the things that has, uh, like from an evolutionary standpoint, made us the dominant, dominant predator? Yeah. One hundred percent, beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's, I mean, historically proven. The, the studies don't suggest they've proven that it is. That's why we've risen to the top. One of the reasons, but yeah. one of the very top reasons. I never thought of it that way, actually. I mean, it's incredible what we can do with breath. And like, even if we take a, just a, um, a case study of something as incredible as like the Tibetan monks and um, with the two mode breathing, breath of fire. I mean, that's what Wim Hof derived his method from. And one thing that they've been known to do, and this, this is just the very, very tip of the iceberg, there's as many ways to breathe as there is foods to eat. But the, what tubo breathing is, is that they used to, um, this was an ancient technique that they kept pretty secret for a very long time until they decided that we should let the world know about this in like the 60s or something. Um, but they've, they've got, it's documented by scientists that they do this. So they would get out the big pile of snow, one of the techniques they'd use, and then they would drench themselves in a draping wet towel out in the cold and they would they would heat their body up through their breath enough where they wouldn't leave that spot until all the snow around them had um had melted and that drenching towel had evaporated but it was completely dry and then they were done that's all through the power of breath and that's documented with wim hof recently when these like prestigious universities studied him extensively because they thought he was a genetic anomaly they're like they didn't know that you could have such precise control over your autonomic nervous system and so they submerged them. I'm sure lots of people have heard about this story. They would submerge them. One of the tests they do on them, they'd submerge them in ice so cold that most people, and they put a special suit on them to make it even colder, um, that most people would hype out and die in like 10 minutes. Um, he not only sustained his skin temperature, he sustained his body temperature for well over an hour. And he would, so he would intentionally break his own, uh, we, I think we talked about this. He would intentionally, he could do it for much longer, but he would intentionally break his own records with doing things like this. He has like 27 world records, which all defied the possibility of what humans could do. Um, 
but by just like a minute or seconds. So he would get more money because he would make money off of world records. <laughs> hustle. Always hustle. Yeah. Yeah. He climbed Mount Everest for God's sake and nothing but shorts. How? Wow. At what point do you think that that breathing became conscious and how long do you think it was an unconscious, uh, like the human body just naturally, you know, your fight or flight comes on and you start even now, like most people who aren't uh, actively working on controlling their breathing, they have they have systems in their body that regulates it, right? But it's maybe it's not optimal because they don't know when to use the tools yeah. that are right for the job. So when it becomes conscious? Yeah. Well, intuitively, we all know that slower breathing will help calm us down. Just, you know, take some deep breaths, right? Mm. Um, but it's not often thought of as like, just how much control. You can think of it like this. You won't. Um, there, there's never a moment where you'll be uh, attacked by a bear and you're going to have some nice slow deep breaths, right? You're going to automatically turn into a sympathetic nervous system style of breathing of rapid shallow breaths, right? But if you can slow down, consciously control it, then you are gaining control over even in extreme circumstances to calm yourself back down and reset. Mm. And I think that speaks volumes to outside of just the exercise realm, your ability to like react or not react but respond to things at 100 especially stressful things yeah 100 um the other thing that even when we talk about let's say just normal everyday routine life but if we're talking about just more consciously nasal breathing that goes a long way towards fixing a long list of maladies it mean it can um, go a long ways towards resolving asthma towards allergies towards tons of different things out there headaches sleep apnea one through the kind of the curse of the industrial revolution of that we've and there's a long history behind this if you read uh, the book breathe it goes into the details of, of why this is but as modern humans we're horrific breathers terrible terrible I mean our nasal passages have eroded through I mean like processed foods we're not chewing as much like meaty muscle anymore we're, we're not working those um, the nasal passages that the, the um, and the um, <clears throat> the oral passages that allow us to breathe better so we start in, it's inclining us towards even having narrower longer faces that in, that leads to us more nasally i mean more mouth uh, mouth breathing which has a doesn't come without a very high cost something you said i don't know if it was from you obviously but uh when we did the breathing course with the, all the coaches mm -hmm. and we kind of started with just like this type of stuff like broad broad spectrum uh subjects about breath was from like an anatomical standpoint, your mouth is for speaking and eating yep. and your nose is for, it's breathing. for breathing. And I, like that design idea or engineering idea makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Where, yes, there's a, obviously a dual function with the mouth for volume of breath. Um, and most people do breathe in the mouth, but yep. from, uh, from an op again, optimized standpoint or like from a design standpoint, what's the nose there for anyway yeah right well obviously for, your taste of breathing. smell or your your sense of smell but for like a, a structure it's like built yeah. for intake yeah let's talk about that too so first <clears throat> the other thing that's important to remember is that nasal breathing one will Im drastically improve through um, i mean diligent practice your oxygenating the body so it's not as previously thought before i mean quite a few years ago now at this point it's was thought of the CO2 as a waste byproduct. It's actually not. It's, it's as important as O2. And so why that is, is CO2 is the vehicle that carries O2 throughout the body. 
So if we have a low tolerance of CO2, to, and that tolerance of CO, the low tolerance of CO2 or a buildup of CO2 is what gives us that urgent air hunger, right? So then if you have a low tolerance, you're gonna be more inclined to let's say mouth breathe, to purge the CO2. You're not gonna have a balanced proportion of O2 and CO2, right? And if you need an equal amount of CO2 to O2 in order to get that oxygen, all that ex excess O2 is doing is just sitting there, not doing anything. It's not getting carried to anywhere. So when we talk about, you've heard me talk about the gearing system, like gear one is that aerobic base, right? That's what most of everyday life should be, into the nose, out to the nose, even in, even out. So right there, we've got that, um, the O2 and CO2 balanced, right? And then as, let's say, we build up in a, a pace of a workout or we start a jog or something and we sustain the pace, then we're going to have, we're going to begin to have a uh, deficit of O2, right? So then we have to get more o O2 in to equal the amount of CO2 we have. So then we power in through the nose, relax out to the, the nose, getting more o O2 in to equal the CO2, okay? And then when we go further in that pace, or so we ramp up the intensity even higher, then we have to start purging the amount of CO2. So you power into the nose, you get more O2 in, and then you purge more CO2 out. Then we're bringing that balance back. So equal amount, again, equal amount of O2 and CO2. Okay. The problem is with that, that's gear three, that's a transition gear, it gets messy. It's like a grease fire. So you got to be careful about using that too often because it's only a transition gear to get to the anaerobic gearing, which would be gear four. That's low anaerobic. So now you've got both. Now you're getting a massive amount of CO2 buildup. We, we still need to equal it out so we get a higher volume of air on the way out to purge more CO2. So we power into the nose still, and then we blow out to the mouth, relax. Now more air is going out to equal out the CO2, O2. Balance. It's always trying to find the balance with it, and then only at the. This is what. This is where things get really hairy. I see so many people, and there's less of it now, I, I, I think. But so many people go right into what would be reserved for exhaustion, very like exhaustive workouts, and very rarely used. It should be very conservative, but mouth mouth breathing. So into the mouth, out to the mouth. That's at the very tail end of very hard workouts, and only very hard workouts, or very short anaerobic efforts, like a one rep max squat or a hundred meter dash. And that's literally the only time it should be used. And if you ever get to a point where at the end of a workout, or if this happens frequently, you know something's wrong. That all you can do is lay on the black mat or astroturf and just sit there like a pile of human flesh. It means you've tapped into some wrong energy systems there. That shouldn't happen very frequently. That should be for like threshold tolerance. You've strategically planned yourself to go into that gear five. I think for the... The gearing system is definitely a useful tool, and as you said, it has a an, an initial investment that's going to be really uncomfortable, but going to pay off if you learn how to use it right. But um, your observation and, and mine to corroborate it as a coach, I see so often three, two, one, go, and within thirty seconds, we're in gear five, yeah, and we're panting for lack yeah. of a better term because we don't have can we don't have control, or maybe we just don't have the knowledge of um, those systems. What, what I like to, what, one, in order to, because if you have, haven't developed those low aerobic bases, you cannot compare yourself to what you do when you are always going gear five. 
You have to allow, in this I call it training for the end result, not training for the individual workout's performance. So eventually, that training through those lower gears is going to, um, uh, is going to result in your performances and every workout improving. But you have to suffer through the initial phase of, of recognizing that your aerobic buzz is probably, if you haven't been training this way, isn't as developed as it should. Mm -hmm. So if you allow yourself to, to just kind of recognize the end result will pan out and you're gonna, and everything you do is gonna perform so much better. But just that recognition is important not to compare yourself to how you've been doing when you go mouth mouth. Mm. Um, is there a, because <clears throat> like you were talking about aerobic capacity and then transitioning to anaerobic and anaerobic, we start using more than just oxygen. Yep. And is that, um, is that when there's a difference between oxygen and CO2? I don't, I don't know the answer, but it seems like maybe uh, that's what the breathing gears kind of goes around. When you get to that, those anaerob anaerobic states, then you're switching up <clears throat> like how your body is burning. Yeah, exactly. And well, and the, the other thing with the switching over to the anaerobic is that you, you can, it's a self-modulating tool to govern pace to allow yourself to reserve enough energy for the anaerobic efforts. Right. Let's say, for example, with that workout the other day, um, it was uh, it was thrusters, it was 30 calories, right? 30 calories. Oh, 30 thrusters and 30 pull-ups. Yeah, 30, and then uh, a rest. was it the calories first? Uh, I think it ended with the calories yeah. on the road. Okay, so 30 pull-ups, 30 thrusters, 30 uh, cows, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so for example, those, if depending on how you wanted to train it, you could train it something like this. If you wanted to work those anaerobic gears with those anaerobic, more inclined movements, then to self-govern the pace, you would go, might go, allow yourself, don't go there right away just to, just to do it, but allow yourself to go up to a gear four, right? So you do thrusters, you do pull-ups. And then in order to save that energy for again, repeated sets of it, then you go down to a pace that allows you to stay a gear two on the row, right? So now you're not burning through that energy just constantly through gear four, because that's a limited dose of what you have. You, 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 you only, if that's like the nitrous, especially gear five, is the nitrous to your gasoline. Yeah, and so, I think that's important for people to know is like aerobic is like a fuel that you can use on long workouts. Yeah, exactly. And then the it's anaerobic, the same, yeah. yeah, and anaerobic is very, it's a limited amount. Like, right. So like if you are doing a 20 minute workout like Cindy yep. and you immediately like go into that right. anaerobic state in the first four minutes. Then you're going to cringe. It's yeah. going to be right. yeah, a real bad workout. Yeah. But the, that self-governing tools and when you go back to let's say gear two for the row, then you're, you're, you're leveraging the workout to give yourself the anaerobic energy for when you need it. So then you go back to the thrusters and the pull-ups. You allow yourself the space to get into gear four, maybe gear five towards the end. Mm -hmm. um, but then, again, back to the row, you're gear two. And then you'll have sustained energy and uh, available anaerobic energy to go back to those thrusters and hit them hard. And like the monostructural movements, those seem to be a good time to, Excellent to time. check in with and, go, and control your breathing. Right. Control your breathing, re reset yourself through the breath, yeah. and then reorganize to come back and hit hard what I would look at as the crux of the workout. Yeah, the separation wouldn't happen likely on the rower. The separation is going to happen on the thrusters. And, right. and yeah. that's where people crash and burn at. 
And with CrossFit movements like thrusters, wall balls, yeah. even, even almost kettlebell swings, like those those movements that really jack your heart rate up, like exactly, it's yeah. almost unavoidable that you're going to get towards the anaerobic state. So if it is mixed in with like a monostructure, yeah. like running, rowing, yeah, um, even those are burpees, perfect opportunities yeah, to, to bring it back. Yeah, to that downshift back down into a gear two, right, and then saving your energy for when you need it because it's it doesn't matter who you are. Some might have more than others but we're all going to hit that crash and burn if we it's just unavoidable physiology mm -hmm. if we try and tap into it too quickly just for the listeners that anaerobic um is using glycogen stored energy right so that's why you say there's a limited uh there's a limited dose of it in your body it's the stored glycogen in your yeah. muscle cells and it's also your body's ability to use it and yeah. de deliver it to yeah. work the muscles right um so that's why it's it's not just a surplus uh, unless you have a surplus, right? But even at that, at some point, you're going to burn through it. Eventually, yeah, you're going to go through it. And, and aerobic, obviously, using oxygen. Anaerobic without oxygen. Yep. So you, you've only got so much to give. So if you're tapping into that which through the breath, you can choose which to tap into. Then you can choose how much you want to sustain it. And besides the fact that I love the... This is such a valuable tool is that if you... You know you're pacing too hard on if you're specifically for more aerobic parts of the workout, if you're having to go into a gear four, gear five, if there's nothing you can do but your pace is too fast. Right. That's the biggest like takeaway for me was it's like a hack to learn how to pace correctly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's an amazing hack and it, mm -hmm. it'll work so well. It just it just comes with the the discipline to realize don't compare yourself to how you we're used to performing right. without it. And then you can then by all means later on when you're used to it, compare yourself. And you're gonna be like, man, I made a lot of progress. Right. Um, I like uh even outside of the performance aspect of breath control, right? We kinda of touched on this, but to me the biggest um implementation of this in my life is just being conscious of what's happening with my breathing when when there's a stress stimulus in my yep. life. Any, anything, right? You hear 100%. a loud noise, somebody says something that's jarring to you, whatever, you you know, shut your finger in the door. Right, right at those moments, it's like, all right, what's happening with my breath? Am I, you'll 100%. feel immediately, am I, you're not gonna be in your diaphragm anymore, you're gonna be uh, yep. heightened, quicker breath rate, and then that's gonna a lot of time dictate how you respond to it. And yep. most of the time when you, aren't aware that you're gonna respond in a way that you wish you had it. Yeah, at 100%. So the thing that I think is a good takeaway is one of, near the top of what's most important with this is that through dialing into the breath, and I think this is, you guys have heard me say this before, that my biggest goal in life is to be as present as I can. And Eric, I think you said that was one of your goals for right. the year. And that's the easiest way I know of to be present, is just to really hone in on your breath. And that way, the, even if something is monotonous as, let's say, a 30-minute row, I'm, there's so much to think about when you, when you just really hone in on the breath. You can feel, do, do my ribs expanding? Do I, do, I, do I feel it horizontally breathing? Or how does it feel going into my na nasal passages? How does it feel going into my belly? There's so much things to think about, but anything that you do, there's no boredom involved. Mm, right. So you can and getting into that sense of presence, and we've talked about this before. We're rehashing a whole lot of things, but being present in a workout—it's been proven, and that was in that book, *The Comfort Crisis* too—that uh, you can go like 15 to 20 percent much harder into exhaustion 
before you feel it. Because you're, it's kind of like when you see people on the elliptical at whatever, 24-hour fitness, and watching TV, and then they might may do a little dancing on the elliptical, and then they're done. They're tired. And they're like, okay, that's enough. But when you're, let's say, rucking across treacherous terrain, you're very zapped into the present. Because you have to make sure you're not stepping somewhere weird. You're climbing up rocks. You're going climbing all over things. You have to keep yourself there because there's no choice because, I mean, there's risk at play. So when we can get ourselves, when we're not at like life-dangering risk, if we can get ourselves present to the workout by organizing into the breath, all our movements are going to be much better as well. It's impossible to not be focused in on breath and your movement not to clean up as well. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one, this might be maybe not for all beginners, but like a place where I found a lot of resourceful information was when I started getting into cold mm-hmm. because all you have, all you have left for you to survive is your breath. Yeah. Like there's no fighting the fact that you're yeah. freezing. Um, but 100%. There, there is a way to get through it if you're conscious of what your breath's doing. I, I, I highly encourage, even if that involves, like we've talked about environmental hermeses before too, but even if that involves, it doesn't have to be a big ceremony. And like, like I have a lot of the, um, the personal coaching athletes where I don't, it's not initially the first thing I say, right? So I don't say, let's everyone take some ice baths. But I'll say maybe long down the line, we can start dipping our toes in the water, literally, in some cold water exposure. And exactly for the reason that you said, well, one of the reasons that you said, <clears throat> is that you're, it's a catalyst to forcing you to be mindful of breath. And there's no other way around it. You have to be lasered in on that or that cold water is going to be I mean, pretty miserable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a very clear, like, if you're doing it right, it makes it so much easier. So much easier, and yeah. So it's cool to, it's just a really clear example yeah. of, like using your breath to control your other and like, it's body. empowering for you to know just what your breath can do for you right, right. mentally too yeah, and exactly. emotionally I, last year i i dip in the ice all the time right yeah. and last year i brought at least a dozen people who have never done it before yeah and i try to pick people who i think can handle it but that are uh, you know they're somewhat averse to the uncomfortability part of it but they're up for the challenge and almost every single person that gets in the first 30 seconds, I'm sitting there next to them and they're like, <laughs> yep, yeah. yeah. It's, you, so that's a good point. And what, one, one segue into this is, I love introducing people into cold water like this is rather than going for a certain amount of time, you go for 10 breaths. The reason being is that initially that's going to organically be shorter, mm-hmm. right? You're, it might be three seconds in, three seconds out. But then as you develop in your capacity to handle that cold breeze better in it, then it might be three minutes in. Mm-hmm. I mean, three, there might be four minutes in. Maybe you're doing 15 seconds in, 15 seconds out. Yeah. But you're increasing the time that you're in the cold water based off of your capacity to breathe better. In Through it. it, yeah. And you then it, it, it uh, taps into the concept that I like to talk about called living breath to breath. Yeah. Like in any given workout, all you like when we're pulling on the rower and that wattage or whatever we're looking at as a metric is dipping down. If you're like, I can make it one more breath at whatever, 1300 calories per hour, or I can make it one more breath at 300 watts, then you can make the next breath, right? Then you can make the next breath. And that living breath to breath concept is so powerful. I've used it countless amount of times and it only, you only ever have to survive. And this is a good analogy for life one breath at a time mm-hmm. right? right that's all there ever is yeah i've only seen like two people in person that have never been in a cold bath before 
um, do it for the first time and the like the fear and shock and like just panic Overcome. on their faces yeah. is yeah. is it's pretty like amazing but then um, the first time I did it, I had a little bit of exposure to like Wim Hof and yeah. uh, like breathing techniques and that's the only reason why I was able to yeah. keep oh, some except, composure it's such a game changer yeah. and I'll coach up those new like those people who did it I'll coach them up beforehand hey this is going to happen you're, you're gonna get spastic when you get in there because you've never done it it's yeah. gonna shock you and listen for my voice or listen to my breath and it's always within most of them within like 30 seconds they start slowing down yeah. mm-hmm. and then within a minute it's like yep you finally hear, hear that actual exhale right. and the water the magically breath, doesn't feel breath. so cold yeah and then they're able to they go from i could see in their eyes they want to get out right now yeah to, to sitting with their eyes closed like monks right you know yeah. yep. and it's all just their ability to control their yeah. diaphragm and to control that it's applicable to everything else too though you get in a situation that life throws at you that feels like cold water 100 are you gonna be yeah. you're gonna panic because then you're not gonna you're gonna be no help to anybody right the uh with i mean just tagging along with that if you guys are interested in trying cold water i'd like to from my experience with having people do this i'd like to encourage you to not make it a big ceremony yeah don't make it a big deal it's not like you have to get 20 bags of ice and then you're in there for 10 minutes. Make it something that you can see yourself doing regularly. That's where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's pedal <coughs> in the, in the <laughs> Burn some sage. You can just go in. Yeah, you could go in for 30 seconds at the end of your cold shower. That's a good starting point. Like yeah. If you really hate cold, then do your nice, hot, warm shower. And then 30 seconds at the end, just breathe slowly and deeply um, for those 30 seconds. That's a good starting point. And then if that becomes comfortable, make it something that you could see yourself repeating day after day. It's not like you do it once and this, this grand event happens and you're like, that was great. But then you dread doing it for another month mm-hmm. or it may never happen. But you yeah. just talk about how you did that one time. <laughs> the less ceremonial you can get about it, the better. And then eventually I'd what would be another person's ceremony? Like, Jumping into a, a freezing ice pond might be like the uh, like a uh, just a uh, the a pinnacle of someone's life, right? But and that's to each his own too. Because if that's even if what your takeaway is that I can do that even just once that you can overcome your yeah. aversion to it, like that's still a net positive. But from a physiological standpoint, like to get actual benefit yeah. from it, it needs to be repeatable. And, and the idea of trying to ramp up to that being casual, mm-hmm. right? Where like it, it would be something like. Starting off of with a uh, thirty-second shower would be like learning to weightlift with a barbell first yeah. before you jump in, right. put three hundred pounds on. Right, just trying to make it so it's not such a big or- ordeal in your life. And I think we could apply that same concept to like the breathing and the gearing um, practice, if if you want to call it that, is just start being conscious of breathing through your nose yeah. when you exercise. That's, that's the, the simplest that's way. That's the biggest step is trying to. Breathe through your nose more. That 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 will. If nothing else happened, being aware of if are you nose breathing, but not just for exercise, but for all of life. Are you nose breathing? Or are you not? And if you're not, then try and get back to nose breathing. Yeah, like any workout over five minutes long, like just start it with breathing in and out through your nose, and see how long you can go without, you know, panicking or whatever. And that that'll just be a good tool to force you to pace. Because there's a lot of people that just 
like you know who you are where you come out of the gates way too hot and then yep. you know <coughs> crash and burn like right. I see well, I see so many people how I look at it is I see so many people let's say we do a, uh, 12, a 12 minute workout which would be I mean if you're a pretty fast runner that's like two miles mm -hmm. but the equivalent I see is like they do the first whatever 800 meters of that just all out just yeah. all out and then they're walking the rest that's not <laughs> how you get your best performance <laughs> So if you can govern yourself with nasal breathing, that's going to keep you at a sustained pace. If you do have to go into mouth breathing, nose, mouth, and then mouth, mouth, at least you'll have started off in a way that allows you to speed up. Right. You know? And if perfection is the enemy of good, if you just cannot have the discipline to only breathe through the nose, at least like Eric said, try with starting the workout, at least the, depending on the workout, at least half of it through the nose. Mm -hmm. I w remember we uh, first started this and we were doing a lot of trail running at the time with yep. in Hudson and uh, my my way of like acclimating my body to this was with partially with your guidance of don't compare don't care about the speed or the times or whatever it was just like I'm just going to do this as I run and as soon as I start to feel like it's taking away from my experience of running I'll just breathe normally and I'll stop thinking about it and mm -hmm. then when I'm ready to do it again i'll start doing it again and that process just naturally made it more normal without the pressure of like you have yeah. to you're going on this five mile run in the woods and you have to breathe through your nose yeah because it did become that eventually because i wanted to challenge myself but the first 10 times i did it it was like i'm just gonna see what it feels like for 30 seconds to do this so that's one way to look at it and that's that's a, a strategy a different strategy that i've used with success is when I am like running to the woods, or whatever I'm doing a, a workout on the um, with the rower, then it, at the beginning it was so bad where I would never dream of taking a break in the middle of a rower uh, in in any other circumstance. But at the the beginning, I have to stop the row. Mm. I'm like, okay, I'm nose breathing. I mean, I'm mouth breathing. I'm stopping. So that might equate to walking for a little bit as you're running, and this just knowing the awareness in the long run, this is going to pay off. And now I never have to do that anymore. So mm -hmm. it definitely paid off for me. Yeah. I think that would be a good approach for someone who's totally fine with their scores yeah. not mattering and, right. and no comparing. And exactly. Yep. If, if there's a part of you that's like, I don't want to like put up a really bad score or like I want to still be able to perform a yeah. little bit well, then Tyler's approach would probably be yep. good yeah. for... And different, different uh, tactics for different environments right? yeah. like ones yeah. I'm not with anybody I'm in the woods I'm experimenting yeah, with this new exactly, tool yeah. one I'm in a class and I'm you know whatever the music's on there's people in here like there's uh, I think there's different tools for different scenarios yeah, yeah. definitely it's good to have some flexibility um, yeah whatever works for you do that to start I wish I had known I think I intuitively did a lot of this maybe not optimally but as an athlete but I wish I had been like versed in the way I am now, not not as much as you, Levi, but at least like the base knowledge and tools. When I was a competitive athlete, like oh yeah, playing football, I and can't wrestling. tell you how many times I wish I had this in the special operations. <laughs> my yeah, like, I mean, I would have. It would have been so much for all of us. Every every athletic endeavor or just life endeavor we would have come across would have been so much easier. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. I mean, I, I, how many times I said, "Man, I wish I knew what I knew." Do then what I do now. Do yeah. you, uh, this is kind of a personal question, not not really anything too deep, but do you think your fascination, I'll call it, with breath comes from your time as a free diver because that's such oh, a part of the job? One one hundred percent free diver, but almost even more importantly, um, free diving is 
that that was relaxing to me. Okay, because I'm over there. It's like everything's like an act of meditation. Even though I had some of my closest closest encounters with death freediving, it's I'd still consider that that was like a time of peace for me. But what was not a time of peace was going through one combat four time, but using the, so I'd, I'd intuitively go back to the breath for that. I would use one of my freediving practices for that. But getting absolutely destroyed in the pool when your breath is taken away from you or when we're just and during the special operations pipeline where they're literally drowning you. And then all, you've never appreciated breath so much as when you're getting dragged to the bottom of the pool, literally kicking and screaming. And all you want in all of life is to get one more breath. And that is really what hammered in the appreciation for efficient breathing. Mm. So when, when, that, when, when you're literally seeing grown men cry on the side of the pool, like bawling their eyes out, just shamelessly, because they just, their breath is going to be taken away and they know they're in for more of that. It just, it's, it's a very humbling experience to realize that that's the great equalizer, yeah. is breath. And we're land mammals. Yeah. That's, that, that, and so if you can breathe more efficiently, think about extrapolating that out to everything in life. I mean, you can go, um, you can go weeks without food, months without food. You can go a few days without water, maybe a week. But you can't go more than a few minutes, and this is seen time and time again, probably in all of our lives, just how important we all get when it comes to the matter of breath. Mm -hmm. And if all every single breath that we take is done without proper mechanics there, then there's horrific consequences to that. I think the mechanics part is something we didn't talk about that we can maybe wrap up on because I know we're getting close to our time cap, um, is uh, that like 360 breathing, right? Getting into our diaphragm and not... I think the majority of people, yes, they melt breathe, but they also up, upper lung breathing, yep. vertical it's breathing, really, yeah. and it's not really getting yep. into the pelvic floor and expanding that diaphragm, yeah. which I think is a detriment. Yeah, so again, it's called, um, like you just mentioned, it's horizontally breathing rather than vertically breathing. So when you take a breath that you're thinking about first breathing into the pelvic bowl, breathing into the ribs so they expand, and then also breathing into the back, and then... If once that happens and breath can, if you need it to, you're only taking in the amount of breath that you need. You're not, one of the biggest hindrances is one, at the very top of the list of, of performance, hindrances of performance, even of um, high-level athletes, is over-breathing. So again, remembering you're trying to have an equal proportion of O2 of CO2. So if you're purging yourself of CO2 with over-breathing, then you're not going to be as oxygenated and ready to perform. So that horizontal breath and breathing into the nose helps very uh, effectively so keep that equal proportion but you have to make sure that one your breathing mechanics into the diaphragm two also just breathing into the diaphragm does an amazing job of adding stability to everything you do so and postural stability. right postural stability even if we do if we did nothing but change breath for let's say a heavy squat into the diaphragm that would be a shocking difference in adding stability to it yeah i think that's another uh again kind of something we didn't touch on that we can just do briefly is like the breathing for conditioning yep. and then breathing condition or specifically for lifting heavy loads right yep. or, or any type of lifting but there's a right and a wrong way to properly breathe and mm -hmm. brace yourself for a heavy lift yep 100 percent and that's something people need to be aware of and to learn as well, which I think we do a really good job here of. Uh, I know, like, I include it in my lesson plans. If it's a heavy squat day, hey, we're going to practice breathing and bracing on an empty barbell first. 
and um, yeah, it's that's a whole nother. Yeah, that's a worms. whole very a long rabbit hole we can go down to. Yeah. Um, but with also just, just kind of tagging onto that, but sometimes people aren't aware that for every specific movement that you do, there's a breath pattern for it. But it's not something that you have to guess at once you recognize the pattern. Like it, it's it's essentially you're breathing in on the eccentric portion or the passive portion of the movement for everything because you want your belly full of air when you need it most. But if you think about it, it, those of the listeners that have are good at a sport or of an athletic background, if you think about what in your athletic endeavor, you already 100% do it. Like if you're kicking a soccer ball, you're going to have a belly full of air right before you kick it. If you're a boxer, when you're punching, you're going to have a belly full of air. Tennis players, ooh, when they do that noise, when they, or maybe they don't sound like that, but <laughs> they do the noise, they're belly full of air. So your air equals power. So you need that belly full of air when you need to be the most powerful. But that applies to across any movement ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think going back to um, just the power of breath, like cold is such a good example of how like it's it's just proof that your breath can control your body functions and so and you extrapolate that to like a a much lower stressful environment like one of the tips i got years ago was just like after you go to the bathroom you're washing your hands or whatever take like five deep breaths while you're washing your hands or whatever to wash it long enough yeah well (laughs) or because that's just like something you do every day you know oh yeah if you do that every day where just like maybe you know five times throughout the day you take five deep like relaxing breaths like it's crazy what that yeah does to your overall like stress and overall on the day oh 100 so um yeah those are that's just another tip that i would say for people to do even outside of any chance that you you get where you can let okay let's count some breaths here and let's count the the breath the inhale and the exhale that's going to be an excellent way to get started just with simple breath protocols yeah and and every time especially in the beginning i noticed like my breath was purely like right in the chest right at the bottom of the neck and like just shallow breathing you know and then resetting that it's crazy what it does what's interesting that any anyone that has kids or babies i should say um, is that when you watch babies breathe in their crib, you see that they're, they're diaphragmatically breathing. Like a lot of the stuff that babies do, or toddlers or whatever, um, they move well without being taught. It's just our modern lifestyle has mangled how we're supposed to breathe, how we're supposed to move, how we're supposed to sleep, all sorts of different things. So it's interesting to see that you should be breathing like your baby is breathing. Right. So they have some things to teach us as well, right? <laughs> yeah, we do a thing where, like, if Lyra's getting all, like, ramped up, like, you know, two-year-olds always do, we tell her to take a breath and, like, deep breaths. Yeah. And, yeah, if you watch her, it's her belly expands first yeah. and then her chest puffs up afterwards. Yeah. And, like, she's just perfect at right. it. Right. Or watch just, her running around, too. She probably yeah. runs. They yeah. run really well, too. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> um, we could, maybe I'll just throw this in before we wrap up. One thing that... Uh, I know Liz <clears throat> uses pretty regularly is <clears throat> this app called Headspace. Yep, and I've used that quite a bit. They do an like an audible. It's like a guided meditation, but they'll do an audible like box breath. Yeah, they'll say breathe in, they'll count to whatever three, four, and then breathe out. <clears throat> and they're gonna if you're looking at this as a complete newbie and you want some just some basic tools to build awareness first of you know getting into like breath 
Um, that's a good app. I know there's some other apps out there, but that's... There's definitely some other apps, too. I, li- I like I use Headspace quite a bit, mostly mm-hmm. for the meditation elements of it, but I, I know they have some things like box breathing on there, too. Um, another one where you can set specific cadences, which might more come in more useful when you start to develop your breath protocol awareness, but would be I breathe. So you can say, I want to breathe, whatever, seven seconds in, three seconds, pause, seven seconds out, three seconds, pause. You can do something like that. Um, but another one that has very specific breath protocols, which uh, starts to get into the world of like breathing for specific times, like before a workout, after a workout, um, for building CO2 tolerance, uh, for building your bolt score, blood oxygen level test, whatever. Which um, that that there's one called XBT. So you guys know who Laird Hamilton is. He's a legendary big wave surfer, but he's got an excellent program that that really dips into the waters of a lot of breath work. So that well, that would be one to, uh, that I point people in the direction of that are interested. And it's really e- easy interface. It's an excellent app, but that would also help get you pointed in the right direction for developing a breath practice. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned so many different things just in this podcast about how breathing can affect. So like we have like a heavy lift is a certain type of breathing a long endurance event is a certain type Mm -hmm. of breathing like uh stress reduction is a certain type of breathing like there's just i mean what else have we touched sleeping sleeping i do a breath through the nose because i'm not the greatest sleeper but i've turned myself into a decent sleeper one one through i mean one angle i turned myself in is through breath practice Hmm. i mean but lots of things if i if i have low energy I have a midday drag. I could do a, a, a quick breath protocol, and all of a sudden I went from barely surviving the day to I'm energetic and ready to go again. Yeah, there's a, there's so many, like it's almost endless the possibilities yeah, where you can use breath. So yeah. like that that's another one of those things where you just like it would take you years or a lifetime to yeah. to be a perfect breather. Like trust so it, just right? start in, yeah. <laughs> just start like doing something and for granted. Yeah. yeah. Start singing in the shower. Singing's a really good <laughs> Yeah. Singing forces you to breathe at the right time and the right volume. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder that reminds me, I wonder like if anybody's you ever just studied sing through your nose though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those Mongolian throat. Yeah. Yeah. But has anyone ever studied whales for breathing? Because like, because like they have. I mean, that's pretty crazy what they can do. Where they can like shatter eardrums. <laughs> well, just like that they they need to breathe, but they're underwater oh, yeah. for so long, and then they come up and like yeah. then they're a mammal, and so they must control it to a certain extent, but not to the obviously to the. I don't know. I'm not conscious controls all. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of, this but they might be real smart. <laughs> this getting, uh, we're just getting distracted here, but going you know, back humans, to everybody loves Lucy. I mean, I love. Yeah, you know, humans have a mammalian dive reflex. Where let, let's say you're going to go diving and free diving. Mm-hmm. If you before you go free diving, you dip your um, face into to the water, then that'll start slowing your heart rate down. That's what all free divers do right before we go, mm-hmm. like for the, for the day. We'll dip our face in, that sets your body, your heart rate, to lower, and it's, it's kind of signaling, okay, I need to be able to conserve um, this energy for long breath holds. Do you know I do, I don't know if this is normal, but I start every single day, the first thing I do when I get out of bed is cold water on my face. Cold water? I think that's... On my face, is that normal? normal? Do you think I mean, that sets your heart, your heart like, nice and relaxed? I wouldn't be, I mean, I do it before I dive every time, and yeah. when I dive every day, but I wouldn't be surprised if it has similar effect for that too. Maybe you guys can experiment with it. It's 
first like ten seconds out of, off my head off the pillow, cold water on my face. I mean, I go out, I go outside and do the my, my breath practice outside and and then uh, jump in the cold shower after. Mm. But it's not right away. I mean, I'll, maybe I'll experiment with that. Yeah. Cool. Right. This could go on, but I know we, we've surpassed our time cap. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, we have. It's all good. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I like it when we're so yeah. <laughs> means we had a lively I conversation. I can't wait for the. Uh, I always get questions or feedback in class from members who listen to the episodes and ask yeah. about things. So I'm, I'm excited for the questions for this one. I'm yeah, sure hopefully that'll, that'll at least get people thinking about it, and then we can it, just yeah. keep revisiting. And you'll oh, probably yeah. do another seminar. Seminar, yes. Yeah, I, I forgot. Yeah, we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, so for those of you who are interested, repeat. We'll likely um, try and organize another seminar. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we can get a lot more people involved with going in the right direction for improving their performance with breath, too. Yeah. Well, their whole life, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's applicable ever, everywhere. Yeah, so. 100%. Yeah, we should definitely get that on the book, so stay tuned for, a, for a, another breath seminar. All right. Hello. That's it. Yeah. Let's talk about poop. <laughs>